0: This is the Alone with Our Principals podcast, episode 27. Six of one is worth two in the bush.
1: On this episode, Carrie, Eric, and I discuss what we've learned during the year of the pandemic in our schools, and we share a few stories from our experience as students back in the day. Alone with Our Principals is
2: unofficially sponsored by Casino Morongo and Pfizer. Hit me with your best shot. Don't mess with the young man. You'll get the horns. Got a real attitude problem, it's why you're a slacker. So far this semester, he has been absent nine times.
1: I'm the principal, man. And we are here for the, I guess we're going to call it the season finale of the Alone with Our Principals podcast. We have officially ended our school year. Uh, we will be starting up again, either late summer, probably late summer, late July, early August. Uh, but we'll wrap up now, we have a lot of exciting news. First of all, we'll get to in a minute, um, my two wonderful co-hosts, Eric and Carrie, are both going on to new adventures in the district. They will be staying in our district, thank goodness. Um, but as a result of that, and we'll let them talk about those specific roles in a moment. But because of that, Carrie has been promoted to co-host. Mm-hmm. And she will officially get to be a part of the madness on a regular basis. And Eric, since he's moving up to the big time at the district office, we are hoping that Eric will be here on every episode, but given the nature of his new position, uh, if we have to just um, make you put up with me and Lewis here um, from time to time, we'll do that as well. But obviously we want it to be, the trio as often as we can be. So I'll let you two talk about that, Eric. First of all, congratulations on your promotion. Why don't you tell us that story?
2: Thank you very much. But after the intro, it kind of feels like a promotion and a demotion. So I lost my co-host duties. But we
1: I got didn't. A we didn't say that. You were still a co. We have three co-hosts.
0: Why do we have to have a hierarchy? Why just you know let yeah, us all be equal? Exactly. We are all important. Equally yes. important.
2: Yes, we are equally. <laughs> Thank you very much for the compliment, sir. Uh, yes, to our uh, one of our principal's audience out there, uh, all two of you. Um,
0: <laughs> I'd like mom. to think that your mom, Chris Walker, and... Mom. I can't even get my mom to listen is what we're saying. <laughs> we, got, we got two
2: of the three moms. Wow. wow. Season two, we're excited about up in that to at least five. Um,
0: no. I think my dad would listen before my mom would.
2: Let's get them on, let's call them out. Dad? Yeah, exactly. dad? Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Eric Lewis? Yes, uh, that's right. This is your call out to join the the AWAP uh, fan club. Uh, but I digress. I am excited to announce to our family out there that I recently interviewed and was appointed for the position of Director of Special Services for the Superior Unified School District. And uh, although it is bittersweet to leave the school site and the kids and the family here for the last five years have grown to love, I'm excited about new challenges. Uh, that lie ahead and uh, hopefully making a positive impact in, in just a slightly different way. So I'm really looking forward to that as we uh, go through this summer. Next time I see you all or or you hear us, uh, I will be fully immersed in that role. And that means that Miss Carrie Lewis will be fully immersed in her new role. So why don't we tell the, the audience about that?
0: I'd like to address the fact that you said slightly, like a slight impact with your, yeah. With yeah, your change from 900 students essentially and 90 staff members to what now district-wide I don't
2: know, what are we at 20,000
0: students mm-hmm. something like that right yeah just a slight mm-hmm. change in impact yeah. hmm. i will actually be the principal at lime street elementary i'm taking over for you to move forward with your vision and add my <laughs> <laughs> you guys if the audience doesn't know chris and uh, eric here have an obsession with the buttons on the roadcaster pro where it gets to make sounds well,
2: today for whatever reason she did not leave it out of reach for me <laughs> it's going to happen again oh absolutely. absolutely
1: absolutely
0: no and i didn't even program those buttons that's all you guys
1: so um you two are in the this uh, stage of our careers that i also i often have heard referred to as the best time of any job the period of time between knowing that you got the job and then the time that you actually have to start doing the job because this is the time you get all the ideas and everything's going to work great and you're going to take over the principal of the school and everybody's going to adore you and you're going to go into the special services department everybody's going to adore you and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be awesome and then the first day of school hits and reality kicks in and then we see how that all goes but
0: they adore me already. Of
1: course they do. Absolutely. <laughs> but I look forward to <laughs> I look forward to talking to you about those challenges though, Carrie, because there's a difference between being promoted as from assistant principal to principal, going to a completely different site, and being promoted to the site where you're already part of it. So I've only I, I've only gone to different schools as the principal when I went from AP Eucalyptus to uh, principal at Carmel. Different settings. So I don't personally know what that's like and I think Eric same with you. Uh, So you can tell us those stories um, next year. We look forward to that
0: for sure. I look forward to it as well. And as I've been saying to everybody, I'm also scared. Well, that's probably a good thing. (laughs) That's what everybody keeps telling me. I should be afraid following in your footsteps, sir.
1: Well, congratulations to both of
0: you. Thank you so much.
1: You've just started school,
2: and the path you choose now may be the one you follow for the rest of your life.
1: All right, so for today, since it's just the three of us, we're going to do a modified version of the quiz. Uh, We're going to just stick to the question, what is a funnier, memorable story from when you were a student in school? Uh, I know we've got a bunch of those stories, so who would like to kick it off? Um, I choose Carrie.
0: Okay, <laughs> so just just I feel like oh, I don't even want to As stay. House now, you got right. I don't even have that <laughs> <laughs> Start us off with just a knockout. Oh, you know, that's stellar, not. It's so not gonna careless, happen. Great school story. Mm-hmm. I think the audience probably should know a little bit about me by now. Uh, the two that are listening and my mom, um, or my dad, who we're gonna try to get to listen. I don't find myself to be that funny. So like I feel like I'm your I'm I'm the person to your humor. If you're that's okay just with like, eh. that, you're hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You have the kind of funny
2: that's like you're the funniest when you're not trying to be.
0: Oh, that's I a talent, that's a Do, I don't know about sure. that. So a funnier, memorable story from when I was a student in school. I don't feel like I have funny ones that I haven't told yet because I already told you one story. Well, it can be memorable. It doesn't have to be hilarious. Oh, memorable, memorable. I actually don't have one. I have a fear that I've always had as an educator based off of an incident that happened to a teacher. Oh, let's do it. Yes, yeah, so I was in a fifth grade, sixth grade, a combo class, and the teacher that I actually received for fifth grade, I was afraid of, actually. And and when I found out I was going to get her as a teacher, it was just – you know, I prayed about it. I, I didn't want to have her. I didn't want her to be mean to me. She seemed like she was the meanest teacher on campus. She actually ended up being one of the sweetest people and she was a really strong teacher. It was probably one of my strongest years. Um, instructionally speaking, like academically speaking, I learned a lot with her. However, she Was just, she kind of floated. She was very interesting. And she used to wear these long, long skirts. And she had her little leggings on and she was kind of layered all the time. And she was just on point with her whole look, head to toe. And there was this day where she had left the classroom, you know, got her break to go to the bathroom. And when she came back, she had to get some construction paper out of one of the drawers. And so she had to turn her backside to the entire classroom. And unfortunately, when she turned her backside to all of us, her actual skirt was tucked into her pantyhose and her underwear. So that is that is my biggest fear. So hashtag I rarely wear dresses. Rarely, if ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me
2: too. It's my fear. I, I, because of that, I, I chose to lay off the pantyhose as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know that only <laughs> risk reward ratio, yeah, to, you know.
0: And you know me, I'd be perfectly fine and accept you for it if you did wear it. I'd probably be proud of what you put together.
2: Yes, you would. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll share something. Mine's not so much a memorable story, but I'm just going to talk about a memorable teacher. Um, seventh, eighth grade, Golden Valley Middle School, San Marino, California. There was a social studies teacher by the name of Mr. Love, L-O-V-E, Mr. Love. And Mr. Love is memorable for many reasons. I'm pretty sure he was former military. um, So he'd certainly carried that kind of mentality into the classroom, very strict, very structured, very organized, which can be very challenging with a bunch of middle school age students. And uh, I just remember what I remember, two things I remember about Mr. Love. One is he had the same response to every single thing any student would say in the classroom. And it was just as simple as this. Okay. So Mr. Love, um, here's my homework. Okay. Mr. Love, I forgot my homework. Okay. Mr. Love, I need to use restroom. Okay. And so, you know,
1: Mr. Love, your dress is caught in your pantyhose. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it was always a challenge to try to get Mr. Love to come up with some different response. And the second thing I remember about Mr. Love is, you know, this was back in the day. Um, hopefully it's all back in the day of, you know, you get out of line in class, you're asked to write sentences. Some would call them standards so mr love's sentences though weren't sentences they were paragraphs and you know so you couldn't go down the line of the paper i i i, I, I will, 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 will you had to write the whole thing out and so it was you know i don't remember a five six sentence paragraph but you'd have to write 15 of them 20 of them and so you do it and I, I did it at least once i know because i remember this but at the beginning of class he would ask you to turn them in so you would walk up to the front all the way to the front of class he's sitting at his desk and you'd hand him your sentences, and he would hold them up. He'd look at them. He'd count them, and then immediately whoosh, he'd rip them into pieces and throw them in the trash. and say, thank you, and i out glad to see you. That was it. Wow. So it, <laughs> there was that pain of, like, all the work you put into those sentences. But, I, you know, looking back, I get why you did it. But, man, it, it, it got under your skin for sure.
0: Oh, jeez. I have no comment. Honestly. Yeah. What was he thinking? Was there a theme? Do you remember the theme of everything that you wrote? Did it impact your life tremendously?
2: No, but I didn't want to do it again.
0: Interesting.
2: So Got it. Only did it. once.
0: The humiliation of actually working that hard and then having him rip it, was that what did it?
2: That and the actual writing, because uh, I just didn't like to write when I was in <laughs> grade. Got it. All
1: right. Buckle up, people. Mm. My story is uh, from ninth grade, uh, Middlesex High School, Middlesex, New Jersey. Uh, and the teacher is um, Mr. Lenunziata. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. He knows why I'm laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's nothing more Jersey than that. No, no, no. There. Mr. Lenunziata, It gets better. Uh, we called him Rocky because this is like the late 70s and he looked just like Sylvester Stallone. Oh, okay. And he was hired as a football coach, uh, but he also taught ninth grade world cultures. And as a world cultures teacher, he was a heck of a football coach. Um, the best way that I can describe him is if you cross Rocky Balboa with Biff Tannen because what I remember is he would just hold on a second
0: is Biff from back to the future okay
1: thank you future and he makes in a little bit of Forrest Gump and now before I tell before I tell this story I need everybody to understand Mr. Lenunziato was a hell of a nice guy he was a sweetheart big teddy bear huge he was probably 6'4 6'5 I think he was the offensive line coach Heck of a nice guy. Everybody liked him. Um, but, yeah, there was a little bit of Rocky Balboa and a little bit of Biff Tannen. He would torture sayings. he be like, uh, yo, uh, it's, uh, six of one is worth two in the bush." <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's like six of one and a half dozen the other there, Rocky. He's like, no, I don't know about that. Um, so it got to some point where um, we were taking notes of just some of the stuff that he said uh the best line that, that we had was is we were learning about um chinese uh culture it is uh you know uh, the people in china during this time they were dying due to a lack of starvation and we're like a <laughs> uh, lack of starvation seems like lack of food maybe uh, not a lack of starvation it says uh if you finish your test before you're done with it bring it on up it's like all right uh, is time travel part of this test he's too? got a little johnny bench in there a little bit. Um, but the i think the highlight of the low light uh as it were uh, and i don't know how we got onto the topic i don't know if we were talking about philosophers or if we were talking about the planets but we were going through the planets and he insisted that the ninth planet in our solar system was plato named after of course the philosopher uh yeah it's uh, named after the philosopher plato it's uh, neptune uranus and pluto and plato and we're like uh you sure it's not pluto no it's plato like the philosopher and then one kid in the class goes you sure it's not pluto like uh, mickey's dog um that person might have been me um but he was insistent upon it to the point where we thought he's got to be messing with us right but god bless her jill buno smartest kid in the class she was in my class from like third grade on smartest kid in the class i know this because i could never beat her on the fourth grade multiplication times tables i mean, always three minute drill whatever she was she was great and she's there so she's trying she's trying to coach him through this it's like now now mr londonziata let's look at the other planets mercury venus mars they're all named after the gods right yeah that makes sense uh so when we get to neptune uranus and pluto would be named after the gods I'm nah, pretty sure it's played and i'm thinking like yeah let's just name them at random like one will be named after a disney character like constantly mercury venus mickey sleepy dopey Plato. i mean you know it, but but he was insistent on it and it was just it was just a memorable year for a lot of reasons but yeah uh, rocky rocky lindenziata was was one for the one for the ages for sure
2: Leninziata well, is yeah. is a great reason why that was a memorable year just the name alone
1: oh yeah
2: I'm a man of respect around here. They love me around here. I'm a swell guy.
1: All right. So
2: as this is uh, a, I guess you could say guestless episode, we just kind of wanted to spend some time talking about the past school year, the pandemic and everything that that has brought along with it. And just I wanted to talk to both of you today about, you know, um, how that impacted your year, how that impacted the culture of the school. Talk about our students, our families, some highlights from the year, maybe. Uh, because, as I think we all would agree, in spite of the challenges of this year, there's certainly been a lot of highlights and a lot of things that we want to carry with us going forward. So, um, I should have brought
0: I should have brought our counselor, our school counselor, for this episode. Could you help <laughs> us all get through this discussion? Year after this, yeah. we're going to
2: have to meet with her.
0: Emotional yeah. support. Well, I mean, for me,
1: uh, I was so thankful that we got to have our students back at least for the last five weeks of school. That made a huge difference. Uh, I think, first of all, establish momentum for next year to let our families know that, okay, we're ready, we're ready to hit the ground running come August. But for me, and I remember, I think I may have even texted you, Eric, um, like the first week or two back, we had a couple of students in the office for, you know, social media mishaps, I guess, um, inappropriate communication through social media, a couple of our fifth graders. And I just remember thinking, man, it's nice to have normal problems again. And then that thought went right out the window. Well, that, yeah, it that lasted a couple of days. And I like, <laughs> <"All right."> um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it made me for sure appreciate the day-to-day nature of our job because it's a cliche, but you don't, you don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. And it kind of felt like that. when we didn't have our staff uh, at school. We didn't have our kids at school. It just felt weird and i know for and i'm sure that you, you feel the same way we all come at we all come at it from a place of positive culture and everything um we're people oriented and when you don't have people at school it just kind of takes all that away so i know i struggled with that so just the last five weeks was was so beneficial for me
0: the whole idea of being people first and the idea of being student-centered is really a big part of what i believe is our district culture And so when you don't have those things present on your campus, I think it definitely pulls away from your purpose a little bit and and you feel a little bit more isolated. So I know that that was an experience for me.
2: Yeah, you know, as we shared at the beginning of the podcast, me leaving the school site this year, um, this year was so challenging for so many reasons. And Karen and I both said multiple times, like, yeah, as administrators, we had a heart. I think the teachers had a heart uh, with the tremendous challenges they had in front of them. But also it was was one of the most... um, Gosh, I don't know. What's the word? I don't want to say demeaning, but you know, it really, uh, you know, the, the idea of being a school leader, being a principal and assistant principal and trying to lead through such an unprecedented time, one of the most frustrating things was not knowing, not having answers when your staff needed answers and they wanted answers. And so I kind of just made a commitment to myself like early in the year, like I have to be okay with being able to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or we'll get back to you. But, um, trying to, you know, just maintain the fact that what I what I can't control is how, how calm, uh, how I try to, uh, you know, project, you know, calmness and patience and grace with staff, whether it's a face-to-face conversation in a meeting, whatever, um, and reassurance and and that positive piece and just, you know, encouraging people. And, uh, you know, this past week or after the school year, I got a lot of, you know, cards and notes and emails from staff and from a select few, one of the most reassuring things that I heard and affirming things I heard was, uh, Mr. Lamb, we really appreciate the fact that you were so calm and gracious and patient. You allowed us to do our job and didn't micromanage, but you just supported us. Um, so for me, that was extremely affirming and it just made it all worth it, uh, knowing that, you know, like, I, I can't control what the pandemic's going to do and what it means for us as a school and if we're going to open or not open or hybrid or full reopen. those are things that are not Within my control, so I'm just going to try to be affirming, calm, patient, and be a, a listener uh, when people need one. So, at least in some in some areas, it, it was very affirming to know that that message got across. So that was a highlight for me.
1: Yeah, and it was it was an odd year that because I remember last summer we had talked you know we had heard our superintendent Mr. Only there was some talk that maybe we were going to be able to open to some capacity last August right and then obviously that didn't happen so we were looking okay maybe Christmas and then it ended up getting moved back because there was another another COVID spike and and whatnot and eventually you know yeah we got to where we had kids back but there was just so much stops and starts and uncertainty. And combined with the fact that so many of our families and staff were all over the place on their own feelings. We had some staff that were ultra um, cautious, let's say, about the pandemic and then others that were just like, no, this is all a hoax. We're just going to move on and trying to navigate that with all the, you know, the differences of opinion really challenged you.
0: Well, and you also had tremendous loss. Um, being felt district-wide. I know at our site, um, we had a tremendous amount of loss for our families and also for a lot of our staff members. And so you would think that would typically be an eye-opener for many, but still, sometimes you just don't realize what other people are going through. Um, if you yourself aren't standing in their shoes, sometimes you just you just can't connect it.
2: Well, and, and just like you, go, you had said, Chris, just by virtue of the fact that physically we were distant from each other for so much of the year, mm-hmm. it became very easy, easily be isolated and, and by virtue of being isolated, kind of be in your own bubble. Like, how is this impacting me? How is this impacting my family? Your immediate sphere of influence shrank, right? Uh, and so I do think that it made it harder for a lot of us, myself included, to have grace for others or to have that understanding Carrie just talked about, like, yeah, this is impacting me and my family, and we're scared, and we know people that have gotten sick. We know people that have died, and that's tremendously impactful. Mm-hmm. But still being able to step out of that and recognize that that person and that person and that person has had their own experience. Um, and I think it's been harder to do. It's hard to do that in, in a normal situation, but uh, in a pandemic and being so disconnected from each other, um, it, it made it even harder. So, you know, I'm optimistic, but I know it's, it's going to take work to re-establish cultures and oh, yeah. positive relationships in our families on our campuses in our district uh because it's been hard on everybody and so how how do we go about moving forward reconnecting um and and having a lot of grace for each other moving forward and and reestablishing just that positive sense of connection uh in, in all different
1: environments
0: i'm super excited that it's not an election year that's all I'm gonna say. Well, right, yeah. Then, you know, you know, I, don't think,
1: I don't think any of us can deny that there was a, obviously a political component to, to the way the pandemic was handled, whatever side you're on. I mean, it could have, mm-hmm. a lot of different things could have been handled differently. But, and I think that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about next is that this pandemic, unlike some other crises that we've dealt with as a nation, uh, you know, I think is specifically 9 11, 9 11 brought us all together as a country because we were all on the same side. With the pandemic, I think it simultaneously brought out the best in our society and the worst at the same time. And I know there were times that I struggled myself even just thinking, man, look at look at what's going on here. It seems like we have so many people that are pulling, trying to do the right thing, and so many people that are making it all about them and their convenience and not wanting to wear a mask and not wanting to abide by anything. And it just drove a deeper wedge into it that I think, thankfully, we seem to be moving past for the most part, but I, I know that I got discouraged a lot of times saying, come on, people, we just need all to pull together. Just I, I don't care if you, maybe you don't agree with the rules, but we can all, we can all just kind of do this. And that that didn't happen as much as it should have, but um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm optimistic about where we're going and um, you know, hopefully we're, we're mostly through it here.
2: i I can certainly appreciate that and i you know i'll give a compliment to our superintendent because when he would say these some of these same things to us as a management team right the conversation started with i don't care what your opinion is on the masks or social distancing it's it's kind of irrelevant um this is what the guidelines are and our job is to follow and keep families safe and i'm sure you just like i had, had that same conversation with staff a lot it's like and in some cases like yes yes i hear you yes it is stupid yes it doesn't make any sense this is what we need to do this is what we've been asked to do this is what you know the cdph the CD, this is what they're saying we need to do to be able to keep kids safe so we're going to have to push aside our own political beliefs our ideologies about what this pandemic is or isn't and and follow the rules um and that's that's a that's a tough space to be in because like you said we have been culturally speaking in this country very divided on a lot of different topics in a lot of different ways and you know especially politically and so that certainly did not make going through this pandemic any easier.
1: No. And, and, and Carrie, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this next piece because um, I know equity is a big thing to mm-hmm. you and to, as it is to all of us. And even in quote unquote normal times, um, it's difficult to create equity on our school sites for our students. And that's when we can at least have some sort of level playing field here at school that hopefully when our 600, 700, 800 kids get to our campus, they're all gonna have a relatively similar experience in the classroom. And even then it's difficult to make that happen. You take that away and we're doing distance learning and you have teachers teaching from home and you have students learning from the living room. I know from looking at, in on Um, some of the Zoom lessons our teachers were doing, you see some kids who have a setup at home where it looks like a little school. They've got a bulletin board behind them. They've got a desk with all the materials that they need. And they've got a parent popping in to check on them. And then you've got other kids, either the camera's off or they're obviously in a a different situation. And there wasn't a darn thing we could do about it. I mean, Carrie, what's what's your take on that?
0: It's interesting though, because it also makes me think about the teachers on the other end and what they had going on available to them at their homes. And then what some of them, when they went to campus, you know, what they had available to them um, because the purchases didn't keep up, right? So as a school site, there were some tech pieces that teachers needed as quick as you could get them. But then there's also teachers that didn't know how to use a lot of the tech. So maybe they weren't asking for them. So in that way, just sheer fear created more inequities or even the classified staff paraprofessionals not being familiar with tech because they're not used to using it and they're not used to um, having to deliver instruction the way they had to learn to do that. So that created inequities too, because we have some instructional assistants who are going to school to be teachers. So they've kind of already been preparing for that moment. And then we have some paraprofessionals who have never done um, more than six months within their job and they were still learning how to be a paraprofessional. And so there were inequities there too. So um, I've, you asked me specifically, like how do I feel about the inequities in regards to what's going on within the homes? I think it was very eye opening, you know, for decades, it seems like now, you know, we constantly see in education, what can you as an educator control and what can you not control? And I think our, our educators, um, administration and the teachers, paraprofessionals realized and our um, our other service providers realized we thought we knew what was going on in the homes and we thought we knew what inequity looked like. We were so at a deficit in that way. We really didn't know the struggles that our families had, the struggles that our families work through every day and are so resilient. We haven't had those experiences. So I think it was very eye-opening. I think for me personally, I'm going to go a little bit further back. I really have in the last... I guess, two years, really started thinking about my role within the system of education and thinking, what are the ways in which the system is failing? What are the ways in which I'm a part of failing? And then the pandemic hits and all of that really got polarized. And so there were moments when I struggled more in education than I ever had before. Am I doing enough? Did I realize enough now that I have this new knowledge? What do I need to do differently? And can I do it fast enough? I can't I can't do it fast enough. Now what do I do? How do I get the help? How do I get the support? How do I speak up? How do I advocate? There's been a lot this year for me personally in in growth in order to be of better support and more equitable. Um, but ideally, I don't know that it will ever truly be equal given that there's so many parts we can't control. So as educators, I think we have to focus on what we can control be very diligent in making things equitable.
2: Yeah, well said. <laughs> um, you know, it, equity, you know, is I, if you've spent any time in education, you know you have these these trends, right? These buzzwords that come up mm-hmm. right now. Equity is a big one. SEL, social emotional learning, these are all things that I think I can speak for Carrie and I both, and probably you, Chris, we mm-hmm. wholeheartedly believe in and think are extremely important topics. And they're 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 buzzwords for a reason because we recognize that there's areas, there's gaps in our understanding as adults on the campus that we need to be able to um, put a spotlight on uh, for the be- for the benefit of our kids. And certainly this pandemic has opened our eyes to some things that, that we didn't see or didn't know about. And uh, you know, our only hope is that we can move forward, take that into consideration. How can we use leverage that to do better for our kids? And then, you know, like Carrie, I've been on a, my own Personal path of, of growth. You know, I was part of the district's team of looking at our significant disproportionality uh, work this year. was hugely impactful on me, and, and just taking initiative to do some of my own reading and exploration to look at issues of equity and socioeconomics and race and how those things impact how our kids are seen and heard on our campus. And one of the things that I think that we can all agree on is that we know it's clear to us that when we can amplify student voice and we know that our kids feel valued, they feel seen, they feel heard. uh, They feel like they have a voice and choice in the way that their school experience runs. We know that they come out as better human beings. And so, you know, no matter my role, that's going to be continue to be my goal is how can I, whatever role that is as a principal, as a director, as an assistant principal, as a teacher, how can we support our staff? to do those things and so because it you know equity is a massive massive topic right mm-hmm. and oh, so yeah. if you say we're, we're going to improve equity okay great <laughs> yeah sure that's that's a great goal to have right. so really getting to the microscopic microscopic level focusing on one thing uh just as an example one of the conversations we had at our site this year was equitable grading right that was one of the things that we're certainly we got a spotlight on uh, this year when we looked at the first semester, all of a sudden, you know, I, I, it felt like all of a sudden, although I think the teachers probably wouldn't say it was, but for me, all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, how do we give grades to these kids? The ones we haven't seen, the ones we have seen, but only that haven't done work. or The ones that have done. It, it created a huge discussion about, I don't know, how do we? And how do we do that when we come back? And, and are the practices we've been using, are they really... Um, honoring the work that families and students are doing. So that's just one example of one of the ways that we've, we've really, uh, you know, I believe will be a positive coming out of this and looking at grading practices going forward. And is the grades truly reflecting what the students know? Or is it reflecting the situation they're in, the socioeconomics that they're a part of, the trauma they've experienced? Mm-hmm. How do we extrapolate all of those things from truly using grades to reflect student knowledge, student growth? Um, versus all of those other things that we talked about a minute ago that we can't control. It's it's a big undertaking.
0: It's kind of one of the things that I fear is that equity does become just one of those hot button words because the reality is if we're really looking to be equitable, it's going to be requiring self-awareness to the point where it's going to hurt a bit to admit where you've made mistakes yourself and where you've encouraged or not rectified situations. So that that requires a lot of vulnerability that I don't know that we're capable of at all times because it will be so gut-wrenching. Yeah,
1: and I mean, that applies to our, our staff uh, as well. I mean, totally. and, and that was one of my, uh, one of the big learnings that I've had uh, recently. Um, and when it comes to culture, I, I feel like, I'm better in the bigger picture thing than sometimes I can be with the one-on-one uh, part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's something I have to be way more intentional about. And it came to light, I mean, I'm not going to share every detail of this story, but um, our staff went through a lot this year. And it's, you know, with people being off campus and doing it, it was very, very difficult to stay in touch with everybody. And, you know, toward the end of the year, you know, I kind of had a couple of conversations um, that, that that maybe I dropped the ball with a couple of people. and. And I thought about it, and, you know, we talked about it on an earlier episode uh, with Bradley Whitford with his three, you know, the three reactions when, when you're faced with criticism the F you, um, well, I suck, and then now what? And I went through those three things really, really quick. My first was, come on, man, it's a pandemic. Come here, come some slack here. But then it was like, no, no, no. God, I'm terrible. And then it's like, all right, what do I need to hear? And and I listened. and And I agreed with some things and I didn't agree with some things, but I put that aside and said, how, now what? And, you know, when I reached out to a few people that that I was going to say probably but definitely felt like they had fallen through the cracks. And, you know, I went in, I had a conversation with them. It was not an easy conversation to have to just say, you know, what I'm sorry, Um, I I will make every effort to do better. And and I don't want you to feel that way. And and it helped. And, you know, I could just see the relief on the faces of a few people when you have those conversations. And it's like, all right, we get it. And now now I've got to walk that walk and, and move forward. But you know, at the, at the end of the day, everybody's, everybody's a person. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard, whether it's students, whether it's our staff, whether it's us. Um, and I think, if you know, if I'm going to take away anything from this pandemic that's positive, and there, there are a lot, it's going to be uh, to do that, to reach out to people and, and pay attention because uh, everybody's everybody's living their own
2: their own lives. Well, I'm, along with that, Chris, is just, you know, I've been thinking about the idea of perception a lot lately, right? Because as a, as a site leader or a site administrator, you have a perception that you are reaching people and you are connecting with people. I'm like, yeah, I think I do that pretty well until it's brought to your face. And then like you said, it's like, wait, if you know, I, I do all those right, things. Right, right, right. Um, but if you are, you know, in my opinion, to, to be a good leader, you have to be able to get through those three phases really quickly and get to the point of this is for me. Right. Yeah. And how is this helping me grow? How can I reflect on this and understand that, you know, my perception is one thing, but that employee's perception matters just as much, if not more And despite my best efforts, if their perception is that I'm not doing those things, that's on me and I have to do something about it. If I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, which is try to build a positive culture, then diminishing or ignoring or dismissing those concerns, um, I'm dismissing uh, those people essentially. Yeah. You, ahead, as a
0: special ed director, there's a thing that you're probably familiar with, the child find, mm-hmm. the idea that we're, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea that there are children who have special needs that maybe don't have the label, aren't on our radar, but it's our job to find them. Mm-hmm. And I think as leaders, there are people who are staff members, possibly even family and or students that are suffering in silence. And it's our job to be looking for that as well, just Mm -hmm. because people aren't speaking up or speaking out doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to reach out to them. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think that, I think what you're getting at is like, that was certainly true for our staff, right? Um, You know, there were times, especially in the the early fall and winter, when it was like you said, Chris, it was so quiet around here. And, um, you know, I I just randomly get this notion like, man, I haven't heard from this person in weeks. I haven't talked to this teacher. And, uh, there were times when I had that moment, I thought of it and I call or I text and say, Hey, I just want, you know, I'm thinking of you. I didn't do it nearly enough. I know there's people that I left out, uh, for whatever reason that is. I, and I feel, I feel really good about the times when I did take that moment to stop and say, I just want them to know they're being thought of. Um, but then I also think about all the times that I didn't do that and I should have, uh, but you know, if you can use that as a, as a, a focus for growth and not dwell, dwell on it, but use it as a you know, way to, like you said, do better next time, then, you know, you're going to become a better leader because of that.
1: Yeah. And just even knowing what to look for, uh, you know, who are the people? I mean, there's some people that we're going to see every day uh, just because of their personality, or because of the nature of their job. If it's somebody that works up near the office, you're going to see them all the time. The cafeteria staff, I see all the time. They're out there serving food. They're in, they're in the, the kitchen area, which is reasonable proximity to the office. But then there's other teachers that teach way out in the portable and, you know, unless they're coming through the office or you're seeing them in the lounge, that those are the people that I know that I have to be more intentional with to make sure to not even on them to come see me. I need to get out and see them or, or shoot a text or pop into their classroom or just say, hey, how are you doing? Um, because, you know, if 95% of our staff is buying into the big picture culture uh, and 5% aren't, those 5% are still important and they're still going to feel Like if we're not paying attention to them, they're not going to, they're not going to care about the big picture stuff if they don't feel like they're being seen as an individual.
0: Some people grow in relationship at different rates and at different times because not everybody is always able to receive a relationship. And so I know like on our staff, we have somebody who's gone through a really couple of difficult years. And so I always try to offer her a little bit of space, but I still just let her know like I'm here when you're ready. Right well you know. you know
1: mike robbins said on our our interview with him that you know he told a story that that stuck in my mind um about a, f- a friend of his when he was a kid his friend's dad passed away and mike didn't know what to say about it uh because you know it's a tough situation you don't want to say the wrong thing you don't want to misstep and sometimes it's just uncomfortable and eventually his friend said to him you know mike you haven't you haven't mentioned my dad at all and then Mike said well you know what and, you know i was thinking about you and i just i just didn't know what to say since so well you could have just said that right and mm-hmm. that part stuck with me that you don't have to know what to say but you just have to acknowledge and and see that person and let them know that you've seen them and it doesn't as long as you're doing that that's often enough mm-hmm. as carrie knows
2: uh you know carrie mentioned earlier we suffered a lot of loss and at lime street it, it really hit home just in the fact that uh you know we lost two students this year in two very different situations but two students in the same grade in the same class So thinking about impact on those families, but not just those families, that classroom, that teacher and the Lime Street community as a whole. But to your point, you know, um, there came a point when I realized I have to reach up to these families who just lost their most precious gift, lost a child, are going through something that nobody ever should have to go through in an unimaginable pain. And if I'm being completely honest, it took me a few days, right? Because like you just said, I'm, I'm thinking like I... I'm the principal i have to reach out to this family let them know that the Lang street family loves and cares for them but i don't know what to say right. i don't even know how to say. like what if they answer the phone what's the first thing you're going to say and, and even to the point when i got the courage to pick up the phone and call i i wasn't sure like what am i going to say uh, but but i knew how important that was right. uh, to mike robin's point that 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 needed to happen and, and i had to tell myself as i'm dialing the phone like it, you don't know what you're going to say and that's okay yeah. just be you just be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you did great, but, and, yeah. and 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 the reality was, it was like I, I don't know what to say other than we love you, we're here for you, we're hurting with you, and if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. And, and that was really all I could come up with in the well, moment. You know but, what?
1: That's perfect, though. Right. I mean, that's a, if I'm, you know, I'm I'm not even gonna pretend to be able to imagine what that's like, but. Yeah. That that sounds like that's that's a perfect way to handle it, and then let them take it from there. But no, Eric, I'm sure you did the right thing. I can just see in your face right now how emotional that was for you. That's that's tough.
2: It, it's it's been a tough year at line for many reasons, but uh, you know, like I said, no family, no no immediate family, no school family sure ever have to go through that. But um, you know, like you said, if, if we're not the ones going through it, so we have to step up and make those connections with people because they will remember. Right. They'll remember that. Jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. Okay, so I think we're ready for extra credit, are we? Yeah, that's it. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, this one is pretty short and succinct. Chris came up with a good one today, and I'm not still completely sure how I'm gonna answer it. I've got one, but I'm still, I'm still, uh, circling around a couple more. But our our question today, uh, along with our principals, is if you can have lunch with any three people. So do they have to eat all three at the same time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're sitting
1: down for lunch with there's three all people. all three. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Well, that makes it a little bit more interesting because you can create a dynamic for the conversation between the people that you choose. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, that's there's a couple ways to go with it. But yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those out in, in our
2: audience line, if you could have lunch with any three people living or dead, who would they be and why?
1: Well, I'll go ahead and start. And this is one of those, even though I kind of came up with this one, I mean, obviously, this is a common conversation starter, but I figured it would be fun to talk about. And I didn't really have an idea going going into it. Um, I, I, I processed it right now. My first thought was, how cool would it be to have John F. Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald, and Jack Ruby? Oh, gosh. I mean, imagine that for a minute. First of all, Kennedy would come in and probably fist bump Ruby, um, but you know that conversation would be kind of interesting, but I didn't. I didn't go there. So we'll just you know that that would have just been a kind of an interesting dynamic. But um, for me, the first one was easy. That would be my grandfather, Bonnie Um He passed away. I've talked about him plenty on the podcast, but he passed away when I was almost six years old. So I was in kindergarten, and I have some very specific memories of of time with him, going to high school football games, uh, going over to their house, and you know all of that. And then a lot of stuff is the stories that I've been told. Um, But he was a superintendent in New Jersey for 25 years. And then they named the middle school after him, after five years, after he passed, we had the whole ceremony. I was in fifth grade, got to go unveil the portrait of him that still hangs in their lobby. I believe Um, really, really memorable. And from every story that I've heard, I think I mentioned my middle school vice principal, Mr. Van Heist would call me to the office just to tell me stories about my grandfather. Um, but obviously I never got to have really in depth conversations with him. So he never knew, I mean, he knows, but he was never around to see me become a teacher or to see me become, uh, you know, an assistant principal and a principal. And uh, so I would love the opportunity to talk to him uh, about all of that. Um, so he can see the person that, that I've become and hopefully, you know, I'm making him proud. Um, so now that me and my grandfather are sitting at a table for lunch, who do I want to bring in? Well, I was very fortunate that, um, my, aunt um, gave me a huge box that had all of my grandfather's speeches that he had typed out. So reading some of them hold up, I mean, amazingly well, reading through them, wow. and, yeah, graduation speeches that he gave, um, beginning of the school year with the entire staff of the district. I mean, reading through some of that stuff, obviously, some of it's dated, but some of it, this is completely relevant today. But a recurring theme, because keep in mind, this would have been late 60s, he passed away in 71, so he didn't, he wasn't a big fan of the hippie culture. He didn't like long hair on guys (laughs) at all. And if you look at my school pictures over the years, you can tell when he passed because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went from crew cuts from the time I was a little kid, and all of a sudden here's first grade, second grade, my hair's getting a little bit longer, and yeah, and all of that. And then and then it got shorter. Yes, way 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 shorter. And then it just bailed on. (laughs) But anyway, so all right, so if I'm having knowing that, who would it have been cool for my grandfather to be talking to? So. I'm also a big music fan. I'm also a big Beatles fan. So I would love to have Paul McCartney at the table. And not not like Paul McCartney now. I want to have 1967, 68, 1969, Sgt. Pepper, that Paul McCartney at the table. This year, my grandpa say, what's with the long hair, Paul? And hear <laughs> Paul's response uh, and all of that. I don't know if, if my grandfather was a Beatles fan or not. I would suspect not. But it would be an interesting conversation. So now I've got my grandfather and I've got Paul McCartney. and. I think we all know i gotta have a new york yankee at the table i was waiting for it because my grandfather was a big yankee fan i'm third generation yankee fan my grandfather went to the yankees he went to yankee stadium he saw ruth and Gary and my dad okay. he, he took my dad to see Barrett and Mantle and that, that whole team maris and then of course i ended up in the 70s going to see Monsanto and Reggie jackson and that in the bronx zoo era. so i want to pick a yankee but if i go too soon it's going to be somebody that won't be able to talk to McCartney, right so if i go with, <laughs> Oh, this is the spot he puts it in. Absolutely. Like, honestly. So, so, if I go Babe Ruth or Gary, McCartney's going to have nothing to say with him. And if I go like Derek Jeter, my grandfather never saw him play. So,
2: like a Reggie. No,
1: or, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. You got to pick somebody that was a celebrity, that was a star, that would know who McCartney was and would have a great conversation with him. So, Mickey Mantle is the obvious choice here. So, Mickey's going to have his stories about the 50s and the 60s. He obviously would have heard of the Beatles and listened to them. So, so, my lunch is going to be me, my grandfather, Paul McCartney, and Mickey Mantle. And, and man, just even imagine what that would be like, you know. So, there you that go. That would be a heck of a lunch. What do you got for us,
0: Carrie? Uh, mine is so serious. So, I definitely, <clears throat> you need to follow me and you need to make the audience laugh. Oh, that's so, not happen, but go ahead. oh my goodness. So, I picked Glennon Doyle. I don't know if any of you know who she is. And then I have my grandma Lewis, my dad's mom. And I actually have my dad. Ideally, I would love both my parents to be there, obviously, um, because I consider them one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My pick for Glennon Doyle is Glennon Doyle is all about equity. And she is always advocating for the rights of LGBTQ, um, all the different races. um, And she's always advocating in the most respectful way way she carries deep messages that i would have fear over speaking and messages that a lot of people when they speak to it possibly aren't using the kindest voice and i love the way she speaks Um, i love the way she uses her voice for the most difficult conversations she has this way of being so caring and thoughtful and bringing you into what she's saying that you couldn't possibly hold resentment for her. And, and I think that that's oftentimes people feel judged for the, the the way they were brought up or the things that they're thinking or that they're questioning and, and not sure how to understand another person's perspective. And I just really value how she advocates for equity and how she advocates for all and how she loves all. And she brings people in with the most loving um, uh delivery of her message. So in that way, I actually have a post-it note on my desk, be Glennon Doyle, because I think to myself, when I'm talking to somebody about something very challenging, I want to do it in the most loving, respectful way and walk away with, with my dignity intact. And, and I think she does that very well. And then my grandmother, my dad's mom, um, Beautiful, beautiful woman, uh, these gorgeous blue eyes and these full lips, sweetest lady I've ever known in my entire life, had one of the hardest lives, um, so much so that my family doesn't speak of it. They don't speak of the difficult things that she's been through. And I I just loved how sweet and kind and thoughtful she was. And she never, she's never come across, she never came across jaded. And I would love to have somebody who advocates for women and for the voice of women and for the voice of all to sit down with my grandmother and to really help her learn how to use her voice for the greater good, including her um, how to advocate for herself. And I would want my dad there because my dad doesn't know it but he's one of my true champions he loves me and he advocates for me and i think it would be really wonderful to hear him advocate for his mom um, in a way that i don't think he could do when he was a child and so i think giving him that chance to really um, learn how to help his mother rise through a difficult situation would be something admirable to watch
2: I'm just going to remind the audience that this is definitely what one <laughs> wow. we want to get your dad on board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. if he's never listened before, Mr. Lewis, this is what we want to check out.
0: Yeah, I, my dad is definitely, he's that guy that is just a constant for me. And I know that he's that because of his mother. So I think them sitting down to better my grandmother's um, outcome would be something fantastic to see. So see, thank I'm you. I'm picturing
1: that as a very formal lunch quiet elegant restaurant
0: my um my grandmother had best giggle she had a great giggle if you could get her to laugh she would just (laughs) (laughs) it was the best um but i don't know that it would be formal i i'm not sure i don't consider glennon doyle very formal just i love that she advocates for others so yeah
1: see with me mickey paul and granddad we're just going to be at a bar having a couple of beers and some you know chicken wings and Yes. My dad would do all that. I think mean, my dad would do that. I think Glenda Doyle would do all that. I think
0: my grandma would look at everybody like, "Oh my!"
2: All right, <laughs> Eric. So I apologize in advance because Carrie said I'd make people laugh. Him, I don't think I'm make people laugh with this one, which we all know I love to do. But uh, you know, I, I've often thought I don't know if, I, I don't know if everybody, but I always assume everybody always has those like fantasies, like meeting your favorite celebrity, rock star, politician, movies, whatever it is for you. And I've always thought like if i ever met that person like I, I just freeze up i don't know what i would say so that doesn't necessarily appeal to me i think there's a certain mystique about those people that we idolize in mm-hmm. some ways like you know I, it's better that way like you're there and i'm here and i'll just continue to think, have that image of you in my head because if i actually got to know you it might change yeah. <laughs> not for the better uh so i am going to take a more serious note with this um you know those closest to me know that i lost my mom just a couple of years ago and um you know, still and probably for the rest of my days will be one of the hardest losses I've ever had to had to encounter um, for a lot of reasons. But my mom was such a, a, a huge part of the, the man that I become, became and the values that I had and the the courage that I've, I've tried to develop and, and all those things. So you know, to be able to have a lunch with mom and, and thinking about the lunch, it'd certainly be one that her and I would probably make together of course. one of our favorite things to do. Uh, I'm a pretty damn good cook and <laughs> largely because of her. Um, and you know, so just keeping with that family theme, you know, her mom, my grandma died several years before her. And I had a tremendous relationship with my grandma spent summers with her. She taught me so much. Um, so if my mom's going to be there, I would like her mom to be there. And then more recently, just about a week ago, uh, my Aunt Jody, my mom's sister, passed away. Um, and so that's still a very fresh and raw thing that my family's going through. Uh, but my mom and my Aunt Jody, you know, my Aunt Jody, I didn't talk to you as often, but she was one of those people that when you talk to her, when I talked to her, I'd hear my mom mm-hmm. because they looked alike, they sounded alike. And so for me, it was like that was, that was one of the biggest, things that hit me the hardest when I found out she had passed is like, that was my connection to my mom. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's an easy one in some ways to say, if I can get those three ladies together one more time and we all cook together and sit down and talk and make some family favorites. And, you know, especially now as i I feel like I, I, you know, continue to accomplish my life and be successful. My mom was extremely, extremely proud of me becoming a teacher and then she saw me become an assistant principal and she saw me become a principal knowing that I was the kid senior year, almost didn't graduate. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I know for her, it was, it was a huge badge of honor to watch me do that. And so knowing that I've, I've taken another step and worked hard to get to where I'm at and have a, uh, what I, I think is a pretty successful career. And it, it would be nice to be able to tell her about that. And just, you know, cause I know that she would just glow and be so, so proud of, of where I've gone, what I've done, not just with my job, but with my family and the kids and, and our home and the life we made for ourselves and, and done it independently. So, yeah, being able to share that with her and, and those those ladies that had to be part of my life would be pretty awesome.
1: All right. Well, thank you. That was that was fun, um, it was fun. and yeah, memorable. I you know kind of common theme. We all had family involved and that's, you know, I think we'd all agree that family always comes first. So I
0: definitely know Eric's family without cook my family. I'm pretty sure.
2: Yeah. We. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exhibit A, I mean.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are we going off of that? Because you know I've been trying to cook through this pandemic for myself, and it's if the audience doesn't know that cooking is not my strong suit.
2: If I had a choice to be in the yard with Dad or in the kitchen with Mom, I chose Mom every time. I just, I always did it. I loved it.
0: I was so evenly split. My my parents have been married for, gosh, I'm going to say 52 years now, and they met, I think it was in uh, fifth grade elementary school, but didn't start dating until they were in their 20s. But um, my parents just had a, we both do laundry, we both do yard work, we both do the house cleaning. So it, I'm just, in my memories, I'm always with both of them. And my dad didn't have any boys. So, you know, he always treated us, you know, as if we were capable of anything. So that part I also value about my dad.
1: Yeah, and as, as you probably imagine, I think, um, I know for sure, Kay, you've met my mom. I don't know if Eric, mm-hmm. maybe you did. No, I understand. Yeah. But you know, we're mongers or talkers. Uh so you know what you know, another love. What? You know, I know, right? Um but so yeah. you're the outlier. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the best times that we have, you know, my you know, my parents recently redid their back patio uh and with my brother's help of course. And you know, we like just hanging out there barbecuing and just talking and, you know, sharing memories and all of that. And you know, my parents have been married uh fifty well, I'm fifty six, so they've been married fifty two years. I'm kidding.
0: Um <laughs> <laughs> That happens. I'm wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. That 50, happens. 50, 50, you do you, everybody. Yeah. You do you. They're actually at Grand Canyon
1: as we record this. Um but yeah, that those are the things that you know that stick with me, just the conversations with the family and we, we laugh a lot, so that's always great. Yeah. All right, so what we'll, uh, we'll do, uh, we're going to be off for the summer here, but I think what we might want to do, Carrie and Eric, we'll just maybe do some reissues, re edit a couple of episodes, uh, maybe do a best of so that we'll have some content out
0: there over the summer.
1: I and, mean, yeah. yeah, and then we'll come back with new episodes uh, late July, early August with some new guests.
0: Hey, I don't feel like we need a fact check because I just think we're perfect. I mean, coming off the pandemic, don't we deserve that? Yeah, no, I don't think
1: we need a fact. I chart. mean, I have one.
0: I was going to fact check this up, actually. I wrote it down. Please so. do. Okay. I don't know if either one of you
2: caught it, but Chris, you to have to help me with this one. He's okay. a Yankee expert, but when Chris was telling a story, is it Mr. Anunziata? La Nunziata. La Nunziata. I added a commentary at one point when you were talking about his sayings, and I said, he sounds like Johnny Bench. Uh, Johnny Bench is not the famous baseball player that was known for his euphemisms. I believe it was Yogi. It was
1: Yogi Berra. Yeah. I did I wasn't going to say anything at the other time. I had no idea when, when you were no. Johnny Bench. I, just I, him I him. meant to say Yogi, Yogi Berra. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, so I, yeah, that was my one fact check. Johnny Bench, you know, talented catcher, but uh, was not the one known for the the silly euphemisms. No, like no, baseball is ninety percent of ninety
1: percent of the game is half mental. Yeah, uh, I'm,
0: yeah. I'm kind of concerned because I don't understand why you just didn't ask me to check you on that like uh, why didn't you think i would know it podcast
1: started. Mm. do we want to go there mm. and talk about carries uh you specifically said you don't know anything about sports and that's evidenced by the fact that you're a red sox fan
0: oh that hurt
1: everybody
0: <laughs>
1: laugh <laughs>
0: you don't need that button just hurts.
2: she's not really a fan she just likes the socks yeah, I guess. Bright red. You
0: know. I just haven't, I haven't done a good job of being a sports fan. And I, am. I love sports. I love watching them live on TV. It's not my thing. It's not my gig. She doesn't
2: have time.
0: Yeah. I really don't have time. If, if you guys haven't realized, I, I work pretty much nonstop.
2: So what is are for. Yeah.
0: That's also true. But again, we've talked about this. True crime sports. True crime always goes like just. just a notch above it.
2: If I mess with Chris, and I, when the Yankees are playing, if I haven't been catching a game, <laughs> I'll just send a text and say, well, did you see that? Like, are they kidding me? <laughs> you would, What's going on? And he'll be like, I TDR. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell me say anything. No, say so nothing anything. more. Yeah. There's
1: another, uh, Mike Ponce Leon, uh, another newly promoted uh, yes. principal. He's also, he may be a bigger Yankee fan than I am, if you believe it or not. Wow. But he, he knows now that, um, that I don't always catch the game live. So he'll always check, you watching? And I say yeah, and then it's like, oh I can't believe that he struck out again in that or whatever. Yeah. Um, but hello, okay, i caught up. What do you have to say? But yeah. Some yeah. of sports, but it's uh, that community, though, that connection. Oh yeah.
0: I was thinking about that fact that I had just said about true crime being above sports and then sports being something I prefer to see live. And then I thought about my number one choice being true crime and live and yeah, you don't no, on. That's I No, mm-hmm. I do mean, Watch exactly. that after fact. Yeah, I started laughing in my own head, but I just thought I would allow you all to join me in that. Just try to picture, picture that. <laughs> Can
1: you be a true crime fan? Yeah.
0: Um, absolutely. absolutely. But,
1: but is fan the right word? I mean, what are you going to
0: sit if there and see it with a foam finger mm-hmm. and say, you know? If you buy the swag, if you <laughs> buy the shirt and the cup and the. A keychain and all the things. That's a lot tr- Jeffrey Dahmer tour Right? There. What do they call those things?
1: They do. <laughs> 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 the megaphone, like,
0: go team! <laughs> <laughs> serial killer. No. She <laughs> loves the it says. I, love so stories. I You know, I, I like survival stories, too, very much so. So, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: That's sports. We're back to sports. I don't
0: know. God, that just goes so wrong.
1: We're about to go off the rails here, so might be a good time to say
0: yes. Buddy, we'll I see appreciate
1: you both. Have an amazing summer, and uh, all of you out there in AWAP land, we'll, we'll be back soon. That's right. And congratulations again to both of you for your new adventures. I'm very happy for you
0: both. Thank, Thank you. you.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to Alone with Our Principles podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: For more content, including videos and contests, or if you have questions or suggestions for us, you can follow us on our Facebook page. We would love to hear from you.
0: Until next time, this is Carrie, and on behalf of Chris and Eric, we hope you'll remember the words of the great philosopher Ferris Bueller, who once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Such a good time.